Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministry. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries, or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. Today I'll be preaching from Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll, we'll, go, we'll just, just get there and we'll go from there says this, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the book before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for your word today. Lord, might it penetrate our hearts, might it penetrate our souls, our flesh from our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We arrive to this part of Nehemiah, and the walls have been finished. The gates have been hung. All the material needs of the city have been met. We arrive at chapters 8 through 13, and the focus is on the instruction of the people in chapter 8, the confessing of sin in chapter 9, the dedicating of the walls in chapters 10 through 12, and the cleansing of fellowship in chapter 13. All of those would make great sermons, I think. All of these very important things, but you'll find that the word of God was the priority. Bringing the book was the priority. What happens in a nation, what happens in a state, what happens in a city or in a church or in your own family is a byproduct of the people's response to scripture. Ezra and Nehemiah understood that. So they put the word of God first. One thing is for certain all throughout history, wherever there is revival, wherever there is a great awakening, there is faithful preaching of the word of God. The Bible says that all the people gathered together as one man and cried out for Ezra. Bring the book. Why Ezra? Why why not someone else? Why not anyone else? Couldn't anyone have just stood up and read the book? No. Not just anybody can stand up and bring 
the book. Ezra was studied in God's word. He had been preparing for 14 years for this very moment. 14 years, Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This should be the setting of every man called by God to preach his word. Instead of a heart set on taking time to improve our golf game, instead of a heart set on gaining social status, the called declare God's word, they must set their heart to study it, to do it, to teach it, to preach it. Period. Since the last great awakening, people have tried to fabricate another one. We want revival through music nowadays. So we turn down the lights. We choose songs with the right keys and the best singers and musicians. Nothing happens. So we, we add a guest speaker. Certainly the old stale preaching we have in our church, that old man, that old mule of a preacher, he just can't bring the excitement and the energy anymore. We need an evangelist to add to the music. And we pay him handsomely because they're pretty much a celebrity. And he'll bring the people in. And he'll bring the power of God in. And we meet and we sit and nothing happens. So we think we should set a time schedule. Let's schedule a revival between the hours of six and eight all week long. But we got to make sure we get home in time to catch the nightly news. So don't go too late, but don't go too early because I have to work still. So let's keep it in this time frame. And let's not do it during the school year because the kids are in sports. Let's not do it in the wintertime because the roads might get bad. And let's, let's, not, let's just not go ahead and schedule it in the summertime because vacations and nothing happens. So we try to muster it up in a prayer meeting, right? And we call on all the prayer warriors and as pivotal as prayer is, prayer won't bring revival. Fellowship won't bring revival. A desire for revival won't bring revival. Someone has to bring the book. Someone has to bring the book. The man of God, called by God, must declare it accurately. He must preach it faithfully, passionately, and with unction. Every single awakening in all of history was spearheaded by preachers. 
You're thinking, well, this is a really good sermon for you, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm getting to your part, all right? I'm getting to your part. We need men who fearlessly and with conviction bring the book to a people hungry to hear the book. Verse three says, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. In the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra didn't have to compete with your social media on your phone that you look at while I'm preaching. <laughs> right? Think, well, Ezra had it so much easier because people are easily distracted today. And what did they have to deal with back then? There was nothing to do, right? The word used for red here in Hebrew isn't just like you would sit and read a story to your children. But it means to call. Ezra called. Ezra cried out. Ezra roared like a lion. That's preaching. That's preaching. Ezra, Ezra stood in front of the people. He brought his Bible to preach. He was going to preach. It wasn't story time with Ezra. It was church. It wasn't a TED talk. It wasn't a motivational speech. It wasn't even a teaching. It wasn't for discussion. It was preaching. He wasn't addressing the hot topic of the day. He opened God's word and he spoke with power and authority. Preaching, bringing the book. What's happened to preaching? Really? Like, to me, preaching is a masculine thing. Now, I, I know that makes some people mad. Preaching is ordered by God. God ordered the church. He ordered the house, and he ordered it with a man at the top. So at the top of the church should reside a man with unction, with passion, who loves and studies God's word, and he should stand with the book, and he should roar like a lion. That's preaching. What's happened to our pulpits? Well, one thing is, there's very few people in the congregation crying out for the preacher to bring the book. That's one of our problems. People have lost a belief, they've lost an interest in the great doctrines of Scripture. Our desire for doctrine has faded out. There's little to no standard for the man who stands behind the pulpit. Excuse me, what used to be a pulpit, but has now been replaced with a coffee table. See, preaching has become too casual, so Christianity has followed suit. When the preacher becomes casual, the people become casual. 
Me and dad just talked about it in his office a little bit ago. Leadership is the lid. This church can only go as far as the preaching allows it to go. Through the Holy Spirit, obviously. But people want church to feel like a living room. We want the church to feel like a coffee shop when it should feel like a gateway to the throne of God. So we now have gatherings, the desire to hear ethical addresses. Pastor, that was a good talk today. I would take so much offense to that. We want moral uplifting messages, uh, socio-political talking points. And now there's this fad where we try to match the new pastor with the church on how he measures up to demographics or the culture that the congregation desires to have instead of how the man measures up to the book. But if he's lacking, more than likely, the people get away lacking. We don't judge our pastors on how they measure up to the book. We don't judge them on how they exposit the book. We don't judge them by how they tarry in the book. Because we've made our own library of books, right? We now have the book on social justice in the church. We have the book of politics in the church, the book of education in the church, the book of philosophy in the church. We need to return to the people of one book. The infallible, incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed. The one and only word of God. So we have a nation We have so-called churches. We have people with an issue that boils down, I think, to one problem. We think too highly of our own opinion. We, We think God thinks like us, or he should. We like to be heard, and we really don't care to listen. The advancements in technology has brought on this information age that we live in, and it has given people the illusion of wisdom. Illusion of wisdom. And a platform of stupidity. Right? Don't you just want to shout sometimes? Shut up. Just Zip it. But we believe because information is at our fingertips constantly, we are more cultured. We are more educated and we need not hear from God himself. This world has deified not only our own words, but ourselves. We want to tell what the word means instead of letting the word speak for itself. 
we must return to the book. As preaching declines, society declines. As preaching has vanished, wisdom has vanished. As preaching has faded, hope has faded. Somebody's got to bring the book. Verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah, and on the right, Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Now look, I could have not read that and been totally fine. Because I don't know if I read any of those names right. But you don't know if I read them right either. <laughs> but it's important. It's, that is important. But I want to go on. Just, just know that. That was uncomfortable for me. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. He was on a platform, right? They just said that. And as he opened it, all of the people stood it may not seem like much to us, and it's simply one of those things that we read past in the Bible that just seems like a tiny uh, bit of information, but they made a wooden platform on purpose, giving the men of God something to stand upon or to stand behind. That means this great awakening that is happening in the book of Nehemiah was not a spontaneous occasion. Well, that just flushes out all the charismatics, right? It wasn't a spontaneous occasion. There had been preparations made for the book to be brought. Isaiah 40 Verse 3, later echoed by John the Baptist, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Preparations were made, ways were made, highways were straightened. What would happen if all hearts were prepared for church? What if our week was used preparing things for the declaration of the word of God? How much different would we hear the word? How much better would we receive the word? How much more would we be changed by the word if we made straight paths for it? How much better would we live the word? How much more would we share the word? How much more would we be united by the word? The scripture says, and beside him stood. He didn't preach by himself. I like this. I really, really like this. There was a great unity in the leadership 
of this church. No one was out for individual gain in this moment, in this awakening. These men of stature, who I won't name again, they stood beside Ezra as he preached the word. They stood with Ezra as he brought the word. Not, not just because of who Ezra was or the position that he held, but because of what Ezra brought, they stood by Ezra. He brought the word of God. Where do you stand? How do you stand with those who bring the word? I tell you, the pulpit sometimes can be the loneliest place I've ever stood. Sometimes it's just me. Right? Daddy ever felt that way? Yeah. Lonely, lonely place. But then Ezra, he takes the word, which, which would be a scroll in this time, right? And, and, and he lifts the scroll above his head and he begins to roll this scroll out and the people just stood up. They just stood up in reverence of the word. They weren't asked to stand, but they were convicted to stand. They knew it was no mere man about to speak, but that they would hear from God that very day. They stood the entire time as it's read and explained, as hungry hearts reaching out for manna, and Ezra opens the book, the people standing, not being prompted to, rising to their feet, not a programmed response, but the true understanding that God still speaks. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God still speaks? He speaks through his word, period. He doesn't speak beyond this word. He doesn't speak above it, beyond it. He only speaks this. When you crack open your Bible, or you hear the Bible read aloud, or preached upon, do you feel the breath of the Creator? Do you recognize his voice in the preaching? Or have you done your best to muzzle the mouth of him that spoke the stars into existence? Silencing he who calmed the storms with his voice, who declared the lame to get up and walk, who still speaks life to the spiritually dead soul and makes them rise to life. He speaks today through his word. Verse six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow. Ezra was not made a celebrity that day. The scripture says, he blessed the Lord. 
Every person there knew what was happening was bigger than the man preaching, especially the man preaching. And the people, the people that had gathered together as one man joined in the preaching. Now look, he didn't say, does anyone have an opinion to offer on that? That would be the dumbest thing he could have done. When we open things up for discussion, you give platform to stupidity sometimes, right? I don't want people borrowing from God's time to not edify God. That's why preaching is kind of this one-way avenue, <laughs> but you can join in the preaching. What an opportunity. What an opportunity that the congregation has. They shouted, amen, amen, exclamation point, by the way. They were now preaching with the preacher. So not only was Ezra surrounded by the elders of the church, but the congregation joined in his preaching, affirming that what he was saying was the word of God by shouting. That's all right. There's maybe a period at the end of that one, but we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Amen. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> preaching with the preacher. Confirming your agreement with the word of God. Church, the amen is your sermon to be preached, not mine. Oh, this uh, school that I spoke at on Friday, I, I start with a question. How many of you go to an amen church? 40 kids. No one even knew what an amen church was. I said it's when your preacher's preaching and somebody just yells amen. Seriously? People do. Oh, somebody needs to bring the book. Somebody needs to bring the book to these, these teenagers. They don't know that even as a teenager, you can shout amen. If, if what you hear is the word of God, you shout Amen. And then when new people come into the church, like, man, that church is unified on the word of God. I want to be a part of that. <laughs> You're getting it. You're getting it. Okay, now I got to give me a second so I can find my spot. The amen is what unifies the man preaching, the people listening, and the God who's speaking. Shouldn't be a lonely place up here at the pulpit. It should never be quiet when someone brings the book. It should never be quiet. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, he's repeating himself, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Wow! The children were silent. Nobody was in the bathroom. The security team couldn't help but funnel into the sanctuary. All the cell phones had been shut off and the clock didn't matter anymore. The roast was just gonna burn. We're gonna miss the one o'clock game. Probably gonna miss the four o'clock game because the book has been brought. They heard readily. They minded every single word because the word of God demands attention. Demands attention. A commentary I read said this, if through carelessness we let much slip in hearing, there is a danger that through forgetfulness we shall let all slip after hearing. Oh. So we say, bring the book, right? Bring the book. And you'll tell me, bring the book. But that's only half the equation. Church, you got to take the book. You got to receive the book. There is truly a benefit for me to study all week long, even benefits for me to just preach this out loud, but the word of God is meant for all who hear and are able to understand. That's what Nehemiah says here. What's your investment today? How were you prepared to receive the word of God this morning? Statistics say the average person <laughs> the average person retains less than 10% of a sermon. So if I preach for 45 minutes, that's 4.5 minutes you'll remember. I'm not mad at you. I'm the same way. That's pathetic. Isn't that just absolutely? So, so that has spurred this, this thing in the church where we, we try to like decorate up our sermons. And in that, we neglect the word of God, right? Less than 10%. So churches respond by shortening the sermon. Okay, I am not a mathematician. But if you remember 10% of the sermon and you preach a shorter sermon, you still retain only 10% of the sermon, right? So all we're doing when we shorten the sermon is taking what you retain down to two minutes instead of four and a half. So basically, if I preach for 10 hours, you might remember a whole sermon, 
Don't clap too much. You, you don't know what you'll get. You'll get a preacher who can't talk anymore. Is what you'll get. Don't clap at that either. Don't you clap at that either. No, so we, we try to get creative, right? We try to use visuals, lights, projectors, all in just this desperate attempt to fix people's attention problem. That's what it comes down to. We have an attention problem. No, we don't. We have a heart problem. We can call it whatever we want, but I can watch a four-hour football game and remember almost every play. It's not an attention problem. It's a heart problem. We need less music and more Bible, right? We need less sleep and more Bible. We need less entertainment and more Bible. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Never been to a service like this in my life. How do you get people to the weeping state? Romans 3.20 tells us, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why is there no weeping in churches anymore? Because nobody brings the book. What does the book do? Calls out sin. The law of God revealing our sin. Nobody wants to hear that anymore. Nobody wants to hear that. Tell us we're okay. Tell us we're going to make it. Tell us all the good things. Tell us we're works in progress. Tell us of grace and mercy. But what about the judgment? What about the cost for sin? Say, preacher, don't you dare get that mirror out. Don't you get that mirror out. I don't want to look into that mirror today. I want the massage parlor. Massage my ego today. You see, when people bring the book, people reject the book. They want a message from the newspaper. They want a message from Fox. They want a message from CNN, a politically charged message that will continue them in their slumber. This world needs preachers who will stand behind the pulpit and swing the sword. Hey, yeah. Now don't forget, don't forget this next week, all right? Let's keep this going. See, preachers don't, they don't swing a double-edged sword anymore. You know what I like about a double-edged sword? If I swing it wrong, it's still gonna cut. If I mess it up in my delivery, if I fumble through Masan Hanaya, whatever his name was, the, sword, the sword's still going to do its work. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. Present tense. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That sounds painful. The word of God cuts every time. Always. But here's the thing, because we got a bunch of sissies in the pulpit nowadays. 
who can't preach hard because people get mad at them. I don't care. I want to stand right before God, not you. So it costs some friends, right? It's hard to get all the follow followers and the, the, the great big paychecks, so it costs the preacher financially to preach the truth. And it'll actually, more than likely, shrink the church. Well, it'll separate the sheep from the goats. Once the flesh and the spirit have been separated, though, obedience becomes possible and revival begins. The word of God will always cut. Always. It doesn't render any soft blows. It just doesn't. If you leave a service without wounding of the flesh, you can be certain God did not speak. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to do its thing. Because there's nothing dull about this book. It is no butter knife book. It's not a hot stone on your back. It's a double-edged sword piercing to bone and marrow. It's going to cut you deep. It's going to cut things off. It's going to separate spirit from flesh every single time. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a soft, easy awakening. When the book is brought, we see God is holy. And we see all of our righteousness as filthy rags. And we weep. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he says, be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Could you imagine a service where I had to say, stop crying and let me finish? Most people would leave a service like that and never come back. Because it just doesn't fit the vibe. What is a vibe anyway? I'm sending good vibes. Does that mean I'll dance? I don't know. But people look for this vibe in churches and in preaching and in all these things. But they desire help with temporary problems over eternal problems. They want prepped for the next day at work or the next bump in their marriage or bump in their family and, and, and don't want prepared for the throne room. They don't want prepared for the time that we all fall on our face and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We don't think with an eternal mindset. People simply don't want to hear from God because his word 
is sharp, it's piercing, and it cuts to the core of the bone. When the book is brought, it means, Christian, we are going under the knife, going under the sword of the Lord, and he doesn't use anesthesia. He doesn't. You're awake for the entire surgery. Wow. So the pulpit can be a lonely place sometimes. Sometimes we can leave here preaching wondering if the people hearing us agreed. Sometimes we were wondering, does, does my Bible read a little bit differently than theirs? But maybe sometimes we don't bring the book. And then how would you respond to that? Would you even know? See, Ezra was a man of the book, but so were the people that stood with him. So were the people that shouted, Amen, Amen, because they wouldn't have said anything had they not known. Maybe they had gotten away from the book a little bit. We see that in their history. But at this time, at this great awakening, they were reminded of the God who still speaks. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for your book. Lord, I'm thankful for the foolishness of preaching. God, in this day and age, we, 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 we think we're so smart and we can think of so many other ways to reach the lost, but God, it's, it's your word and it's the preaching of it. And we know that because your word says that. God, might you deal with us today through this message. God, have we prepared our hearts for your word? How do we receive it? How will we respond to it? And God, if it doesn't cut, might we know the problem isn't with your word, but is that we continue to try and dodge the sword. Lord, be with us in these next few moments as we reflect upon your word. God, might the greatest response in worship today be after your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Jimmy Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. 
This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.